0: Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Marianna Bratman. Today we're talking about some important updates that were recently made to the DHHS guidelines. And with me as always is John Farragon. So John, what's the latest on the guidelines that providers need to know about?
1: Well, first of all, good morning, Mariana. Thanks so much for doing this again and uh, being with us today to to kind of help us get go through some of this new information. So, um, you know, if you recall, um, if you've been listening to these podcasts, we did uh, review a, uh, the new drug called Cabanuva, which is the Cabotegravir and Rilpivirine injectable uh, medications. We, we we've done that before. Um, right after we did that, though, however, in February, just recently of, of um, 2021, the Department of Health and Human Services, the DHHS guideline uh, panel actually provided some recommendations um, around this uh, cabotegravir ropivirine injection. Um, so I thought it would be good for us to just kind of highlight what the guidelines think uh, as far as where we should be using it, what we should be doing with it. Um, I can say that's probably some of the information that's in the previous one on the cab uh will be repetitive for what's in this, uh, in this, um, update, but I think it's still important because, uh, you know, once something is, is added to the guidelines, I think people feel a little bit differently about it, probably feel more comfortable about, about using it. Um, so I think it's important for us to review what the DHHS guidelines say, uh, about this new injectable option.
0: Okay. So let's dive right in. What exactly do the guidelines say?
1: Yeah. So, so Mariana, basically, uh, you know, all, obviously all of the information that, that's in the label and also that's in the in the DHS guidelines is based on the clinical trial results. And there were two large uh, randomized clinical, um, uh, randomized controlled trials. And the pan- panel recommended that once monthly cabotegravir and the intramuscular injections uh, can be used as an optimization strategy um, for people with HIV who are currently on oral therapy. Um, so they would have to be on oral therapy and have Documented viral suppression, so their viral loads have to be undetectable for at least three months. Um, although that optimal duration is not is not defined. Um, and in addition to that, being undetectable for three months, um, uh, and also um, uh, being on oral therapy, they have to have no baseline resistance to either medication. So, if they have resistance to ropivirine or cabotegravir, the two injectables that are in this uh, in this combination. Uh, you you want to make sure that they 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 wouldn't receive the drug. No prior virologic failure. So this there's not a lot of data um, uh, for tabropivirine in people who have failed previous regimens, and and they also shouldn't have active hepatitis B. One of the things we often forget about with some of these two drug regimens is that when you take out the TAF, which is the tenofovir alafenamide, or the TDF, which is to know if we R8. then there's another combination, entecavir uh, and lamivudine. It's also another drug that's in some of those combinations. If you take those drugs away, they often um, we remove the person's treatment for hepatitis B. So unless they're receiving an, another oral medication for 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 active hepatitis B, if they have hepatitis B, you wouldn't want to just put them on this. So the bottom line with this question, with this point, is that. Um, if they have active hepatitis B, make sure they're on um, a TAF FTC or TDF FTC, TDF 3TC. They have to be on something that's going to cover the hepatitis B because the CAB and the repivory will not provide activity against hepatitis B. Um, also, because of lack of data, they have to not be pregnant. They're not planning on becoming pregnant. We don't really have enough information on using these injectables in that setting. And, and also, I think um. Also, it's important, even though this is an injectable medication, there are some medications that we have to be careful of that have significant drug interactions with cabotegravir and ropivirine. Uh, During the oral lead-in period, which is required for the first four weeks um, with cabotegravirine, we have to make sure that the patients are not on proton pump inhibitors because those would interact with the ropivirine. So again, you know, this is a lot of this we've discussed in the previous edition, but Really, this 28-day this lead-in period is really, really important to assess that tolerance to these drugs. And, and I think that most providers would, um, would, would agree that if you put somebody on a long acting injectable and you have a problem, it's going to be difficult for you to figure out what to do, right? But at least if you have that oral lead-in period, you, you can um, certainly assess tolerance in, in those first couple of weeks. So really, uh, I would encourage also for clinicians to, to refer to the product label for, for some of the information regarding IM dose administrations as well. Uh, and some of the manage, management strategies for, for planned and unplanned misdoses. There's a lot of good information in, in the label, but at least it's added to the guidelines and I think that's really the important piece that we really wanted to make sure that we talked about today.
0: And as a reminder for folks, can you go through how this is dosed again? <laughs>
1: Yeah, sure. So this is a little complex, and I, and I encourage you to again take a look at the label and also it's in the guidelines now, too. Um, but the oral lead in is first. The, the tolerability of the cab and ropivirine, and ropivirine should really be assessed again using that oral um, lead in uh, uh, period for, for at least 21 days. You take uh, each of the pills once daily uh, with food for at least 28 days prior to starting the IM injections. And then basically, the first IM injection should be administered on the last day of oral therapy. Um, and that's typically with a loading dose of cabotegravir 600 milligrams and ropivirine 900 milligrams, given as two separate injections and separate uh, ventral glial sites. So the, the volumes here are really important too. It's a, the for the for the loading dose for the first shot, it's three mLs for each drug. So it's three mLs for the cabotegravir 600, and it's three mLs for the ropivirine 900 milligrams as well. So it's a total of six mils, three mils in, in um uh in separate in separate sites, um and also so what happens next? So you've given so you've given the oral lead in. You've given the, the first the first month uh, injection. A month later, you actually do what we call continuation therapy, and that dose is what you would give every month thereafter. And that's giving at a dose of cabotegravir four hundred milligrams with rilpivirine six hundred milligrams. So those are two mL shots um move, moving forward uh also given as two separate ventral im injections and that usually begins thereafter with with a administration window or about plus minus seven days so so oral lead-in um and then you have the three mil and three mil for the first month and then the second month you do two mils and two mils and then you follow basically every month you do two mils and two mils until um until you're either either stop therapy or else the patient misses a dose Long enough where you have to have to reload them. Um, so uh, one of the things too that that, that I think it's important for people to be aware of, and there's a lot of specifics in the in the label, but um the, the needle length is actually important as well. So um I am injections in non-obese patients should be a one and a half inch, but for uh, obese patients, you really need that two-inch needle, the longer needle to make sure that you're getting into the deep deep into the uh, into the muscle. Um, so some of the uh, uh uh, contraindications with gluteal fillers are important for us to know. Also, making sure we have proper storage and preparation techniques. And other specific t- details can also be found in the full prescribing label. And a lot of that we did cover in the in the previous in the previous uh, uh, in, in the previous version when we talked about Cabro
0: all right, John, now for the most important question, at least in my mind, what do we do about missed doses?
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that's important. It's important, I think, in a lot of people's minds, right? I think it's 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 the key, like, what do we do? Um, and I think one of the things about these long-acting injectables, they're great for people who may want an injectable. People, I think, are feeling that, well, geez, maybe we can use this for people who are non-adherent, and they may not be the best option for those patients, because, again, there are problems when you when you potentially miss it. But there's really, it's a great question and it's an important one. Um, the long-acting cabotegavir and rupivirine have what we call extended half lives. So it's usually five, to, five, five and a half to 11 and a half weeks for cabotegavir and it's 13 to 28 weeks for rupivirine. So we're talking about injections that will last for a long, long period of time. And the potential for detectable concentrations of both of the drugs May be present for at least 12 months, even after the the, the last the last dose is given. So that's really really important. So people who miss doses or stop therapy are really potentially at an increased risk of HIV virologic failure and potentially the development of resistance because you have this kind of long tail on these on these on these two medications after you stop the medication. So really, patients need to be fully informed of this risk, uh, and you know. If they're going to come off the injectables, obviously you put them on oral therapy. But um, but if, if but if you don't know they stop the drug, it really gets a little a little bit complex. So really, clinicians should really consult the, the prescribing information um, for the for the and for some guidance on how to manage missed mis, mis doses. But basically, oral bridging should be made available to the patients uh, who have a pre-planned missed dose and, and that's anticipated. So this means basically a fully suppressive HIV regimen would be used as a quote unquote bridge kind of to the next dose to be sure the patient remains undetectable. Unplanned missed doses beyond that seven day window period should really prompt reevaluation of whether or not the person is an appropriate candidate for injectable therapy. Uh, But but, but the most important piece that if injections are missed by more than two months and the regimen is reinitiated, you need to restart administration using those loading doses, the three mil and three mil. So again, if you go beyond two months, okay, um, and, and the regimen is going to be reinitiated. You need to reload them with that three mil, three mil. You don't have to go back to the oral lead-in therapy, but you do have to make sure you use that that loading dose again. And then after that, after that first month, you would resume administering the the monthly maintenance dosings of two mils and two mils every month after that. Um, and I think really the um, uh, the the other key question that happens when you talk about this bridging therapy, so we're putting people back on oral suppressive therapy if they stop the injectables really within four weeks of the last IM dose, you should make sure that patients are, are started on their uh, on their oral medications. So again, it's complex, right? You have to really think about it. but um, as hard as it is, I think it's laid out very nice in the label and I think it's very clear in the guidelines and, and they both match very closely to, to what we should be doing. So I think there's plenty of information if you are thinking about using injectables that you know we certainly can uh, we certainly can, can do this.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the studies that were conducted for this as well?
1: Yeah, so studies are always important, right? It really informs what we do. It helps us understand safety and efficacy and to know whether or not uh, this is a safe strategy, right? And I think the most important thing is that, you know, we we, we did not cover this in detail in the last review, so, so this is probably a good idea to do this now. Um, but there really, there were two main uh, phase three trials. It's called the ATLAS and the FLARE trial. Um, They enrolled almost 1,200 participants in the studies, Um, all of them had HIV, and they evaluated the safety and efficacy of this once-monthly IM injections of of cab and ropivirine, cabotegravir and ropivirine. The atlas, um, patients had to be virologically suppressed for at least six months, they were on standard oral antiretroviral therapy prior to randomization, and they had really no history of any prior virologic failure or resistance right, to either cabotegravir or, or um, um, FLAIR was a little bit different. So basically, Atlas, Atlas was the treatment treatment experience patients, quote-unquote, right? They were on therapy, and then they were switched, right? But in FLAIR, flare was actually done in treatment-naive patients. These are people who had never been on therapy before. They had no baseline resistance to cabotegravir or piverine, and they were started on that oral regimen of doetegavir, uh, of abacavir, lamividine. So that's, that's a drug called Triumac. And then they had to be virologically suppressed at 16 to 20 weeks. And then they were basically randomized to either the um to continue their oral antiretroviral therapy or to 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 the IM cab repivering once once a month. All right. So again, very, very different designs in both of those studies. But both of these studies use this one-month lead-in phase with oral CAB repivering. So even if you were you were treatment naive or treatment experienced and you were suppressed on whatever regimen, you were switched for the first first 28 days of put on cabropivirine. So cabotegravir plus propivirine tablets for 28 days before the first IM injections. And again, that's important for us to know because we need to try to assess, um, hopefully in that first 28 days, you're assessing efficacy, but also you're, more importantly, your your um, efficacy is probably gonna be fine, right? Because most of these patients are not gonna be resistant. There's no reason why they would fail. But the real important piece is making sure that you're assessing side effects during that first 28 28 day lead in period so the detectable viral load uh, of greater than 50 copies at week 48 was reported in 11 uh, individuals um uh which is about 2% in the IM cabrepriming and uh 10 patients which is about again 1.7% in the oral arm combining data from both studies so really the 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 risk of what we call virologic failure or having a detectable viral load over 50 is less than 2% in in if you combine the data from all, all the studies. So again, very good numbers, right, for maintenance therapy. And, and I think the 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 thing that a lot of people ask about right now, we're doing once a month therapy. But the question is, can we do every other month? And there is an Atlas two M trial, uh, which is another study which is ongoing. It's not in the label, but it is mentioned in the guidelines. And and it, it's where they basically gave participants um, every eight week separate IM injections of the larger dose, the of the loading dose, the cab um, three. Mills and recovering three mils but this dosing schedule has not been approved by the fda but i think what will happen is eventually once the fda looks at it and if they approve what's actually in the atlas 2m it'll be that larger three mil kind of loading dose every two months that's kind of what how you how you would dose that if they do the two month uh the two month injectable so i think that's um that's a little bit off a little far off right now but at least the monthly injectables is certainly certainly available to us to us now but know that there is a two and every other month uh, study. and that's important too because that's the way the Cavote some of the prep studies were done given it every other month. so I think that's important for us to be aware of. So that's kind of the gist of it.
0: John, do these guideline changes discuss safety and tolerability of this regimen?
1: Yeah so the one thing that's great about the DHHS guidelines is that they are they're always well balanced right so they'll talk about efficacy but they always talk about side effects and obviously the biggest concern that anybody would have with an injectable are these in, injection site reactions or these ISRs and and these were the most common side effects that happened with IM uh, cabotegravir and rilpivirine which occurred in over 80% of, uh, of patients at, at least once so ISRs were less commonly reported over time um, occurring in about 10 to 30% at each monthly IM injection time point after the first year. Um, these hypersensitivity reactions are pretty rare, uh, but this uh these post-injection site reactions, the patotoxicity and depressive disorders have also been reported. We talked a little bit about some of those, and I know when we when we reviewed uh, this in, in more detail in one of our last uh one of our last sessions on, on caproprimarine.
0: Is there anything else that the guidelines mention that is important for providers to know?
1: Yeah, I think there's a, there's a couple of things. I think um, they they have a section called special considerations um, as it relates to the new injections. Uh, I think in particular the 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 um, providers need to be aware that switching to long acting injectable therapy can really be advantageous for some patients. And you know some people are sick of taking pills. We call this pill fatigue. Some people have disclosure issues where they might not want somebody in their family knowing that they're taking pills every day, and they would rather just go to a doctor's office and get their shot, and that's it. Um, there's a lot of stigma still ta- uh, still with taking oral medications uh, for HIV, and I, I think some of this for some patients it may improve their quality of life. And you know some of the studies, you know they they these the studies always show this. They they do a study and they give people injectables, and they ask them do you like the injectables? But the the patients already knew they were going to get injectables. So they're already, they're, of course, they're going to have, say that it's it's working for them because they're happy with it because they went into the study to get injectables, right? So some of the data that around quality of life, I think it's hard to assess. But for people who are on injectables, if they if that's what they want to do, um, they probably will have an improved quality of life because there's a reason why, why they're picking it. So these are really individualized, I think, discussions with providers and patients. But it's important for providers to realize that Most of the treatment experience patients enrolled in cab, cabotetivir with ropivirine were selected based on good adherence and engagement in care. So these people were already engaged. And so the point here is that they really need to be engaged in care and suppressed in order for this really to be an option. Um, I think studies of of people with non-adherence to oral therapy are actually being done with pivirine, and I think I think we'll know. But the key point here is that obviously they can't get missed is that cabotegravirine does not have that hepatitis B activity. I know I mentioned it before, but I can't stress how how important that is. With active hepatitis B, they need to be on something that that's going to be appropriate for oral hepatitis B therapy. Um, drug interactions can be issues as well, but again, there are some drugs contraindicated um, but in our last review of the cabinet maneuver, we we cover drug interactions in detail. But really, the bottom line here is making sure you have the 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 right patient, um, and the, the the patient selection is really, really the, I think the key key piece.
0: So is this whole have RPV combination even feasible?
1: Yes, I think it is. And I, and I think, um, I think you know, it's early, it was only recently approved a month or so ago, but there are patients that are interested in it. I mean, we do have patients that were aware that this was coming. Um, we certainly do have patients who may come to you and say, listen, I wanna go on the injectables. Um, I think providers are also thinking about it as a potential other option for some people, um, but the practical pieces are important right now, right? You have to come in every single month. So, you know, the person who comes to the clinic every three months or every six months for their HIV visit, because they're stable and doing well and they just maybe don't need labs as frequently. They might not be coming every three, every six months, or they may be coming only every four or five, six months, not every three months. But here you have to really make sure you come in every single, every single month to make sure you're getting that shot. So the clinic staff need to be, um, really aware of that. And this is something that's not going to be self-administered. So it's not going to be giving yourself an IM injection at home. So they really need to come into the office to make sure that this happens. Um, Some other potential ways to go into an infusion center, although it's not an infusion, but they might be able to do the injectable in kind of that setting. That might be another way for for it to be done. But the clinic staff really needs to work with patients closely to make sure that missed doses are, are, are taken care of to ensure um Uninterrupted oral bridging of ART when missed doses are planned, and then again if these unexpected missed doses occur, providers really need to assess whether or not the drug is a, the drugs are appropriate, uh, and whether or not continuing continuing injectable therapy is appropriate um, to minimize the risk of developing resistance. Many of the HIV patients who are on oral therapies for medical and or medical mental health disorders as well. And, <coughs> excuse me, sorry, and um. Counseling patients emphasize the importance of continued adherence to the oral therapies for other indications is essential. So it's great that you have, you know, the injectables for the HIV piece, but if they're on other oral medications, they're still going to need to take those. Um, so, again, if somebody's going to be just on injectables, you know, for all of the drugs in their regimen or all the drugs that they take every single day, obviously we have a lot of comorbidities in hiv population this is you know this may not be uh the best option but for, for, for people for privacy or just looking for uh, a different way to administer their hiv medications this clearly is is a potential option and i you know i, I hope that people um at least the people are listening today you know are just aware that at least it's in the guidelines it's addressed and I, and I think you know it is a i think a really a good option for some patients based on the data um and based on some of the um uh, you know depending on that patient population that that really wants to go on injectable, so this this is certainly an option for them.
0: John, thank you so much for walking us through all of that. I know how important it is to stay on top of any new updates to DHHS guidelines so that we're all up to date on the latest information for HIV providers. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika ATC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nicaatc.org. That's wwwn eca aetc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaatc.org. That's p-o-d-c-a-s-t at nikaatc.org. Stay safe, and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know.